Welcome to episode number 175 of the Dust Safety Science Podcast. This is the podcast for building a global community around process safety and industries handling combustible dust. I'm your show host, Dr. Chris Cloney. In today's episode, we are talking about an update on the development of NFPA 660 and impact on industry. We're doing that with Jack Osborne from Air Dust Co. Jack's based out of Little Rock, Arkansas. Jack, welcome to the Dust Safety Science Podcast today. Well, thank you very much. Looking forward to it. I'm excited to this topic. I'm even more excited to be talking with Jack. Um, he has extensive, extensive, extensive background in injuries handling combustible dust. I didn't pull his list of NFPA committees and and all the interaction he's had over the last, I would probably say several decades, but I'll let him maybe explain a bit of that. I'm in combustible dust. He's extremely knowledgeable. He's seen a lot of the industry, seen also the industry progress. And he's a really good person to talk to about where we're headed. We did cover NFPA 660, which I'll let Jack explain here in a sec. We covered that back in episode 128 and 129 of the podcast. NFPA 660, upcoming NFPA changes and what they mean for combustible dust safety. This is sort of a check-in. So we're, what, 50, about a year later. And now we're going to be talking about, okay, an update to 660. And what does it mean moving forward for industry? Uh, We're going to talk about where is 660 today? probably what is it? Uh, is it a code or standard? And what does that mean? What are the major changes in the commodity specific standards, if any? Really want to elicit some feedback and comments on 660 when it comes out. So we'll talk about what the public feedback looks like, or public, public feedback process looks like, um, and what these changes mean for different groups in the combustible dust community. So Jack, maybe a good place to start would just be, can you share some of your background, industries handling combustible dust, and with the NFPA um, standards development process. I'd love to. Yeah, I, I'm an old guy. I'm, I have to admit that. Uh, but that does give me a big advantage. And I've been at this as a project engineer and design engineer for about 47 years. And I've been working in all sorts of bulk handling, dry material operations, dust collection, central vac, you name it. And I've been doing the feasibility of it the design, project management, installation, startup, training, you name it. I've had to do it with small projects, large projects, and uh, we go through the entire gamut. And as a result, and it was hands-on, and that was actually the beautiful thing about it. I got to learn the equipment the hard way and many times and learning from maintenance people as well as engineers and personnel in the plant. Uh, yeah, I do have a PE, but that usually means I just take tests well. So I'm not PE in three states, but I have to have that for our company. But I've worked with virtually every industry, and I, I know there's probably some out there that I haven't, but very, very few. And with that, I've worked with non-combustible materials, but lately it's been mostly combustibles because of the very difficult situations they can present done grass whoop, down to modification of existing systems, optimization, whatever you want to call it. Just to give you an idea, uh, over the many years I've, and this is, I'm, I'm not a exaggeration, I don't like to do anything like that. I've worked on probably 1,700 different, probably more dust collection systems, 80 or so central vac systems, and hundreds of bulk handling systems ranging from pneumatic conveying to mechanical conveying, weighing, feeding, batching, mixing, drying, whatever, anything along that lines. Now on the article side and seminars, 40 somewhat, somewhere in that neighborhood, uh, I also was asked to do five chapters of the NFPA Fire Handbook, which I would recommend. It's going to come out, I believe, later at the end of this year. Done a bunch of multi-day seminars for powder and bulk engineering and others, and also involved in court cases. And this is something we'll talk a little bit more about later, but court cases have shown me that combustible dust problems are real and that it's something that companies and people that work in that industry need to know about. The big thing is, is that it's a real issue. Combustible dust and combustible dust compliance is a real situation. And if you don't do it and you ignore it, you're gonna pay a price somewhere down the line. And it doesn't make sense. 
Now, as a result, in about 2008, I joined my first committee. And then since then, I am a participating member on all six of the combustible dust committees. So this includes all the commodity specific and the correlating and fundamentals committee. Uh, I've done my spiel on that part. We can move on to something else. First off, I mean, I mentioned it in, in the introduction when I was talking with Jack before we started recording that a lot of the work he has done has paved the way for folks like myself and others that have come in later to the industry to improve safety, but also to take an educational focus on doing that. I know that that's something that Jack really emphasizes. You can tell by, you know, he talked about the systems he's covered, but he also he's talking about writing articles, talking about being involved with standards development process, talking about doing seminars. These are all key activities that we think back, you know, if you say 2008 was a time of heightened awareness of combustible dust, since then, those activities of seminars and education is what's going to keep that level of awareness increased over time and, and the standards development process. So I, I just do want to say thank you for the work you've done. I appreciate that. I'm glad we're recording this. I may need this as a booster sometime. <laughs> That's right. In terms, so we've had some background at a pay 660, but we haven't talked about it for, for about a year. I guess for, for our information and checking back in for the podcast listeners, just what was the title of 660? If that's the title yet, and is 660 maybe going to be the number? Might be something we should double check. <laughs> Probably before we name the episode, but that's fine. And where is it today in the development process? The name, and by the way, this is not fixed, but is recommended would be NFPA 660, and it'd be called combustible dust. Not very simple. Now that is subject to change. Now this whole process started. Chris, in back in 2011, which is really kind of a surprise, we actually got a copy of, of the letter that the Standard Council sent out to make people, make their people aware that they were hoping in the future to consolidate everything regarding combustible dust into one document. Because frankly, one of the steps became NFPA 652 which was the fundamentals of combustible dust. And that was actually a very painful process and it took quite a while to get it. It's now a much better standard than it used to be, but it, it actually went too far. And it started getting into the commodity specific standards. And there is a real need for commodity specific information. It's the fundamentals are there but not even in the fundamentals is everything exactly correct for every commodity in every situation. And trying to put it all into one document has been a real challenge. Now, you, we actually got started on this process more into the 2018-19 era where we were talking on the telephone, going back and forth, going the various meetings for the commodity-specific standards and figuring out what to do. And one of the main things that was decided was that we were going to keep the integrity of the commodity-specific standards because there are just too many differences between metals and wood and food and chemicals. There are just major differences you can't cover in one standard without having those chapters in there. Now, one of the other problems, and I, the audience will appreciate this probably more than anybody, if you think about it, you've got five major committees, the fundamentals and the four commodity specific committees. That means you've got over a hundred experts trying to decide what to include in one standard. That's just mind boggling because it's hard enough getting three or four people to do anything. That is amazing. And with the fact that we're getting there is an actually very, very importantly, part of the NFPA's effort because they've had very good people like Laura do things that help us make sure that we get to do it right and get it done right and kept it organized. Now, the first nine chapters, yes, will be fundamentals, but everything from that point on will be related to the commodity-specific standards. Now, the process that they're going to go through and where we're at right at this moment is that we are have one more meeting. And in this era of COVID, it's been very interesting because we've done 
four-hour-long team meetings over and over and over again on all the standards, just many, many, many hours, hundreds and hundreds of hours. And finally, we're down to one more on one committee, 654, excuse me. And once that's completed, then this will be all combined by the NFPA, what the end results are. And this will be the first nine chapters and what everybody agreed to, and then the commodity specific. Now, normally from that point, yeah, they go to the correlating committee, and that's where they, just like the name implies, they correlate the information and make sure there's not something in there that causes a real headache, a contradiction, or is just flat wrong. And occasionally that does happen. But in this case, it, that part of the process may be skipped because we've gone over this so much that it's probably an unnecessary additional step. Most likely it go directly to the Standards Council, which is the overall governing body for the NFPA. They will go through it. And if they approve it, it will go out this year. And there's no reason to think it won't. It will go out for public comment. Now, the only real way you can keep track of that is to go into the website for NFPA. And you can go in as a guest. You don't have to be a member. You can go in there and type in the 660 meeting, 660, and it'll get you the most updated situation. It may have actually some information there you may want to read. But when it's ready for comments, public comments, that's the time we are asking, and we are strongly asking the public to be involved. We want this standard to be as good as we can make it when it first comes out. Now, once we go through all the public comments, and that'll be for mo several months, I think it's up to six months. Once that's done, the committees will meet again, and this will include the uh, fundamentals part, which used to be the old 652, and then you have the other four commodity specifics, and they'll get together, and they'll go through all their public comments. They'll also have some topics that are committee-generated. All of this will be put together into a second draft. And this will be the closest to being the finished. Now, this is where you can go in and look and see what's there, but you can only as public and as the members, we can only comment on what is provided and been discussed previously for the first round, the first draft. Now, after we go through the second draft meeting, any additional information provided. We'll go through that. And if that's finally finished, then that will go probably to the correlating committee. The correlating committee will review that and it will be sent to the entire NFPA during their major meeting of the year. So it's with all this process involved, it is very likely all this will be delayed until 2023. And I would say the earliest this standard would come out best guess will be the fall of 2023. Now that's assuming no major TIAs, which is just really a fancy way of saying, you know, some disagreement that requires a vote of uh, the NFPA members. If that's, if there's something there that says we got to go back and do something again, then that can delay it even further. But I'm not anticipating that since all the committees have been involved. As you can see, it's a pretty convoluted, long process, but it's meant to come up with the best possible standard we can provide. And that kind of covers that full range, I hope. Uh, any questions on that? There are some questions that we'll go through, but I think I'll summarize kind of a bit of the, the main points as I, I heard them for the audience as well. I think, what do I have here? I think I have three or four main ones. One of the first ones is just that this you know, isn't a new process. You mentioned it started back in 2011. Uh, development of 652 was a step in the direction of even making this possible. For folks that aren't that familiar with the NFPA framework of standards, 652 would, would be the framework. Now I'm reusing that word, but that's sort of your general approach to hazard identification, to testing, to protection and prevention. And then that points out to the commodity specific standards for materials specific 
properties and concerns and things that need to be addressed. And also to the how-to standards like venting, explosion prevention, explosion protection, those sorts of things. That's sort of the framework that we're talking about. 652 being put in place then was the the general classification of combustible dust hazards. So that's one point. And I'll, I'll, I'll make an additional point to that. I have, I just opened it up. The regulations of the National Board of Fire Underwriters for pulverizing systems for sugar and cocoa recommended by the National Fire Protection Agency in 1924. So at least that's the earliest commodity specific standard I can find. There's probably more. <laughs> that's the earliest one I can find with specific to combustible dust. So we're talking 100 years of development to get the, all the framework and standards together. 660 then is really a, an approach, an attempt. Well, it's not even attempt's not the right word. It is the bringing all that together under one, um, and we'll talk about code or standard in a second, but one document, one standard that is at a pay 660 combustible dust. And he kind of gives a really great breakdown of where we're at today. Uh, it is just in its last phases of meetings after hundreds of hours of meetings and hundreds of subject matter experts, um, or at least over a hundred subject matter experts going to first draft sometime this year and then public comment. And this is something I really want to emphasize from this podcast episode is that if you're listening to this and there'll be a couple hundred people listen to this episode, your involvement in this process is critical to its success and critical to being involved. So if you four years from now see 660 and you don't like something in it <laughs> and you didn't speak up at this phase, uh, when, or at least once public comment is available, then you know you kind of lost your chance, at least that. So public comment is a big thing. And that's one of the reasons why we want to keep illustrating, highlighting on the podcast and the other avenues that we're doing so we can garner that community and bring it together to talk about where the standard should go. So I appreciate that background. Anything I missed before we get into some of these topics of like, code versus standard in that? It's really kind of what I missed. I, I should have mentioned that along with the 652, the fundamentals of combustible dust standard, uh, they also created the correlating committee to just do exactly what the name says, to basically correlate the information to make sure that uh, the food industry is not telling you something that is not really true, uh, or they, you know, to make it sure that what they do make different is not something that uh, wouldn't be acceptable under general fundamentals. But that that is a step. It's it's a mid-portion step. And without knowing what the Standard Council's plan was, um, frankly, I had no idea this was occurring until we started doing, after we finished 652 and really started talking about it afterwards. So that is additional information on that. And, and we will be covering on how to do a public comment here in a little while. Makes a lot of sense to me. And I guess the last thing I'll say on that is thank you for your involvement and thank you to the hundreds or over a hundred people that have been involved. And thank you to Laura Moreno and, and others yes. on the NFPA side that have helped organize us. <laughs> There's been many others, many others. Yeah. It, but Laura's done tremendous work on this. And I really want to compliment her. She deserves that compliment. She doesn't get very many of them. <laughs> and another thing that's very important to remember is that NFPA is not a government uh, entity. It is totally independent. It is nonprofit. So the way they make their money, frankly, is from people buying the various standards. So let's keep that in mind. Yep, that makes a lot of sense. And we've had NFPA on before the podcast talking about some aspects of what they do as well. So I point people back to those episodes. I guess let's dive into some more of the, you know, the impact details of 660. I guess the first one to add here that's come up a couple of times is will it be a code or a standard and maybe who cares or what's the difference? And what impact does that mean, if if any, for, for end users? It definitely makes a difference. Frankly, it's not going to make that much difference once when it goes in. It's very likely they will call this code. There's some resistance to that, but frankly, it's just a word. It just means it can exist as a law. It can be adopted as a law. However, just naming it that does not make it a law. It has nothing to do with that. It's no different than calling it a standard. A standard is just there to provide knowledge and information for a, a certain goal. And that's a very generic uh, definition. 
it still could be called a standard, but the reality is its purpose is to become a code and to be adopted very similarly to the National Electric Code. Now understand that the International Fire and Building Codes, the latest ones, I wanna say 2018, I could be off on that, has a, adopted 652 as mandatory now, not optional, not recommended, but mandatory. And this includes dust hazards analysis and all the things that are included in the fundamental standard. So it's important to know that it's already enforceable. And it's just, a, in this case, we're putting all of it into one standard to try to make it a little easier. And frankly, it's going to be there and it, it very likely will be adopted. Now, that'll probably take five or 10 years for this, uh, most of the states to get there. But when they do, and remember, OSHA has no rules on explosions except for uh, agricultural facilities, uh, and those are minimal. All they have is the general duty clause, basically, in the commodity, the, excuse me, the national emphasis program, which was way, way back in March of 2008. And that's really for their enforcement people. So all of this is really a question, would you as a corporation or a person or anything else want to ignore this deliberately? Um, I've seen the end results. It's not pretty. And it takes some unusual situations for things to occur like this, but then some of them are not so unusual and they're ignored. Uh, we're trying our best to make people understand that this is a problem. It can be solved and it's not going to car, you know, destroy your company if you do it right. Okay. I've got off again, off my high horse. <laughs> well, no, it's, it's good information to share it. I think in terms of the coder standard, it sounds like it's just really a, a, a name in terms of end users. What it may allow is the adoption to be done in a different way by local jurisdictions, whether that is Canadian provinces, U.S. Pro or U.S. states, um, or elsewhere in the world. Calling it code may open up some doors on how that can be adopted. Like right now, I, I actually don't know all. <laughs> exactly how it works but i know that there's the the model fire code the international fire code that is adopted in whole or in part by local jurisdictions way nfpa is done at least here in canada the way i've seen is is it may call out say you must follow nfpa 652 or best practices maybe a, a provincial code might do that i'm not sure what options that opens up if NFPA 660 is a, a code versus a standard my guess is that it, it makes adoption by local jurisdictions different and and my hope is easier otherwise i'm not sure why we do it but <laughs> it definitely is easier because it covers the full subject rather than just part that's why 652 is so acceptable and they were rec just recommending 654 previously for the ifc and ifp so it definitely will make it more probable but again it's not going to be overnight it's going to be years down the line i would say at least five years and right now, I believe somewhere in the neighborhood of 40, 42 states have done, have accepted the International Fire Code, but they're usually several issues behind, meaning their, their state law may refer to the 2014, 15, whatever, uh, rather than the latest, which might be the 2018 or even, even more recent. I'm, I'm prepping a podcast episode on the International Fire Code, so I pulled... 2021 is the newest one. Okay, I wasn't aware that was out. Okay, we'll uh, we'll probably talk offline a bit about that because I I there's some stuff that I pulled out my research. And I'm like, oh wow, I didn't even know this was there. So, but that will come out for the audience probably a couple of weeks from now. I'll, I'll have the research completed to do that podcast episode myself, and and we'll probably kind of present it. But the the main point is that it's been continually adopted more and more into the IFC, the model code. And then as states adopt the model code, which Jack mentioned the, the number that have to date, as they increase the year which they adopt to, they'll, in, they'll increase the adoption of those combustible dust integrations. In 2018, and maybe even some previous ones, uh, anyway, I got the, the research, I can look at it afterwards, but explicitly state that I pay 652 
uh, must be completed. The dust hazard analysis is necessary. So once the states adopt up to that level, then then that's a, a way that you can be compelled to to meet NFPA requirements. So yeah, interesting discussion there. We talked a lot about the difference between the first nine chapters, which is 652, which is the fundamentals, and then the commodity-specific standards being the, the later chapters. Um, is the plan to have you know changes to the commodity-specific standards as they're, they're rolled into 660, or is it kind of verbatim text by text? Um, and, and you know what might the practical implications of these be for, for the code users? I will be giving you some uh, specific examples. There are some what I call major changes to that, but nothing detrimental. The fact that the wood industry has greater risk of fire than probably all the others put together, just from past experience, they emphasize a lot on the fire. Whereas if you're talking in the food industry, they emphasize fire, but nothing to the level that the wood industry does and so on. But the the actual committees for the current standards will be responsible for the various chapters. And I can't remember which one's which right at the moment, which chapter, but also 655, the sulfur standard will be included uh, the 91 will not be included. That's on because that applies to non-combustible as well as combustible. The parts about the oil for the wood industry, where they they use oil in their process, heated oil, that will be included uh, just because it's already been included historically, not because it's combustible dust issue. But those are uh, the otherwise those chapters will be changed versions of those standards. What's happening with the first nine chapters, the 652 committee will not exist as a 652 committee. It will be the fundamentals committee. There will be no overall 660 committee. It will be a combination of these. Now, that could change in the future, but right now there's no talk of it. The various committees will meet separately and uh, they will discuss their various portions. The first nine chapters will be covered by the fundamentals and uh, the public will be asked in the future for comments on those nine chapters. The other chapters, which will be rather lengthy because there'll be various standards that were before. For instance, the first parts of those, the first five, six, seven sections of those will not be very extensive because most of that information will be in the first nine chapters. And it'll only emphasize what is different in their particular standard. A good example is the wood, excuse me, the food industry or the agricultural food processing. They have certain parts of theirs that are quite different. They, they allow for what's called an ingredient transfer system that if you meet specific standards, your pneumatic conveying system may not require explosion protection. It requires other considerations like grounding bonding. But in other words, there are certain parts of it that will still be there that will not be as part of the fundamentals. And usually you're going to have to understand that the fundamentals are now modified considerably. A good example is bucket elevators. Now, probably even a better one is material feeding. Material feeders, my heavens, you've got vibrating conveyors, you've got belt conveyors, you've got screw conveyors, you've got slip conveyors. I can't even begin to think of all the types of ways you can convey or feed materials into a process. And they operate quite differently. You know, a a volumetric screw feeder is not going to operate the same way as a vibratory feeder, and yet they may accomplish the same task. So they shouldn't require, there's really no true fundamentals that would apply. It's more oriented to the materials. So you'll find that information in the, the chapters on the commodity specific. It'll probably have a statement in there, please go to those chapters. And 
that's something to remember. That's in chap, uh, chapter nine, mostly, of, of the new standard. Now, in addition on there, I don't believe overall there's any negative impact whatsoever. If the commodity-specific chapter has a statement in there that is in contradiction to the fundamentals, the, and there's a reason for it, that's the purpose of the correlating committee to make sure there is a reason, then that commodity-specific statement will override anything in the fundamentals. That has been true since 652 existed, and that will not change. However, if there's something in the fundamentals chapter and nothing is said about it in the commodity specific, then the fundamentals chapter applies. So I, that has not changed. That will remain the same. So there's not a huge difference, but some content has been taken out of the commodity specifics for the keep the size of this standard smaller. It's not going to be small. And to uh, make it more usable by the various people that need it. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And I, I, from what I've seen, or at least heard from, you know, folks that have been involved with the processes, that's really, a, it's really a process of collection. It's not meant to be an overhaul of the commodity specific standards or, you know, to have major changes. Really where the changes have come about is when there's conflict between the fundamentals and commodity specific standards or, or maybe commodity versus commodity. But in that case, then there's some work that needs to be done to address those. But my hope from the outside looking in is that having 660 and having this thought out and put together will then allow us five, 10 years from now to improve and make improvements easier across the spectrum. So commodity specific and fundamentals right now where they're all in different documents and there's you know a different approach across all of them could be a bit cumbersome to kind of make changes where if they're in 660, even if we just take the same material and it's have the same impact when it's used, at least having it under one roof and having a standard approach across all, that makes it easier when we do want to come back around and make changes to commodity specific standards or the fundamentals as we learn as a community, as we grow, as new technologies developed, as technology changes. Everything along that lines uh, is absolutely true. And what we've tried to do is make the first nine chapters truly fundamental. And where we thought there was some doubt, if, if it was doubtful that it was fundamental, then we did not include it. And it was put over on the uh, commodity-specific chapters to include that information. So we currently have uh, bucket elevators out. We're asking the commodity-specific. Now it's beginning to look like there's going to be a, a very wide consensus on, on what's included. So we may put it back into the fundamentals, but only with agreement of the commodity specific. But without going through those committees, we wouldn't have gotten to that level. But that's very typical of what was done. It now allows the uh, user, I think the user will see that the information provided truly is congruent and fits. It, it won't be as confusing. And that's always been the problem. Well, let's, I mean, let's talk about that. So once this comes, once this gets the first draft, then it, it may, we kind of talked, it may go through the correlating committee or, or may not we'll go to the standards council and, and be released for public comment. Yes. What does that look like? What does the public feedback process look like and how, and, and, you know, when can listeners, to this podcast and other folks that are, have concerns in this space provide this sort of feedback? Well, fortunately, I've made my share of public comments because the committee members can't just arbitrarily do something. They have to go through the same process, which most people aren't aware of. But it, it's not as simple as it might sound. You can't just write a little note and make it happen. Uh, you have to go onto the website. And when you go into 660 and you're in the first draft phase, there'll actually be some forms that you can do electronically, whether you're a member or not, and you fill out those forms accordingly. Now, I'm, I'm going to tell you some things that you must do to have your comment actually strongly considered. First of all, if you have an agenda, if you're a vendor, don't try to do something that will 
make your equipment the only thing that, that can be used because we don't do that. We, we are not in the marketing business. We are in the combustible dust business. So please don't do that. Uh, secondly, if you have uh, a disagreement with a statement in the first draft, you need to refer to that. And most importantly, you need to offer a solution. Pointing out that it's wrong, you may be 100% correct. The problem is if you don't give us a solution, then we're not to consider that. Now, occasionally we will just as a committee, but mostly those are just tossed because we have to have a solution. It can be a very simple one. You know, they're correcting a, a, an error in the statement itself because somebody typed in the wrong thing. That's fine. Just point that out and what's correct. But also, you must give a reason why your solution is better than the one that is already there. You have to give a viable reason. You can't just say, I like it better this way. You have to actually come up with a real honest reason as to why yours is better. It helps the committee greatly. And, you, and don't be offended if we don't accept it 100%, because most of the recommendations that we get for changes, we'll look at, especially the ones that say, oh yeah, that's that you're right. But it may be that 75% of what you've asked for is correct, but 25% doesn't consider something you may not be aware of. And to find out what the result is, you, we don't send you a little note or anything. <laughs> it's just too cumbersome, but you can see the end results if you go to the same location and find out what the end result was for the first draft meetings. So that it's now when you do the second draft is different because the second draft doesn't allow any new materials unless there's some correlating problem with it. Otherwise, it's only on what's already been discussed. And you, you as a public can actually comment on that also, uh, even if you uh, you know, there's some sort of negative on there, or it can be on anything on that and say, but you still, again, must give a solution and a reason. Yeah. So I got three, three kind of things. If you're going to be giving comments, list any conflicts of interest that you may have, or even that could be perceived as long as you're open to us about it, then it can be explored by the committee. Oh yes, definitely. Yes. Be specific. <laughs> so don't, don't just say this thing stinks or something. Yeah. <laughs> You'd be surprised. <laughs> well, I, I read through all of the OSHA public comments. I think there's 135 of them when they were when they released their proposed notice for rulemaking for combustible dust. And and yeah, you'd be surprised on how many people just said that there's a lot of I've never seen that happen in my industry. Like we we've never, we don't have a yeah. and 655 explicitly says, you know, not having an incident at your facility is not justification for not having. There's a reason for that because chances are the facility next door or the facility that runs in Canada or the facility that runs in the UK or Europe um, has had an incident. That's why it's been added in. That's why that's where those lessons learned came from. They are not just added, you know, because the because there's some people that think that this could happen at your facility. Um, if it's in there, chances are it, 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 it's happened. So just sending a comment in that we've never seen this at our facility, although it may be interesting, chances are that's not going to get you much change to standard. Um, but the third thing is then offer the solution. So I don't know, if you're, if you're going to put in, I've never seen this happen in my facility, then maybe explain why you think it's not going to happen. And that will give the committee at least some material to evaluate your, your proposal on. Um, those are three things. List your conflicts of interest, be specific, and offer a solution which makes a lot of sense to me. Well, one other important thing I left off there is that just because you're not a member of the committee doesn't mean you can't attend the meetings. The meetings are open to the public, whether it's a team meeting or whether it's a face-to-face. -face, and we hope in the summer to go back to face-to-face. -to -face. I think we all do. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes, they are open. And when the standard is actually out, it should be at nfpa.org slash 660. Let's check it's not. It's not active at the moment, but that's, at least in the past, if you want to know about a standard, sign up for the notifications whenever there's changes or announcements. 
you can do that from the standard page, which is the standard nfpa.org slash the standard number. Oh, okay. I wasn't aware of that. I live and learn. nfpa.org slash 652 brings you to 652's page. It's kind of a handy thing. I would also say if you're using the standards, we've talked about this before on the podcast, you may want to check out NFA Link. I've used it now for the better part of a year. It's it's just a better system <laughs> than flipping back between the appendices and the and the the uh, the front matter and trying to yeah. Anyway, I'm I'm a big proponent of NFA Link. I know NFA NFA is also pushing that as well. A question for you, Jack: Is comments allowed from outside of the? I'll say outside of the U.S., but really, even like, can anyone comment from other parts of the world as well? Absolutely. No, it's open to the public, period. Well, that'd be really good for the international listeners of the podcast because you can kind of read through and, and and my goal is not to make more work for the committee here. My goal is to get a better set of standards. But if you see things that are conflicting with your local standards and approaches and you have a solution that can address that, that's the kind of stuff that might move standards closer together, putting that feedback in. So I'd, I'd say consider that if you have comments on, on that side. Now, don't we've, we already said the rules. Don't reply back and say chapter eight sucks because IECEX said so or something. You know, for, provide some more constructive input than that. But I think that would be something that could be valuable. Yeah. Any, anything else on this public comment process, Jack? Anything you'd really like to see the listeners to this podcast do in relation to 660? I just wish they, especially on their commodity and the fundamentals, that they would go through. And if they don't feel that something's correct, Please say something. We may have had over 100 people look at it, but that doesn't mean we got it right. And we need the public input. Keep in mind, sometimes like uh, the big fans, the large fans that are used to keep dust down from the ceiling, we put an entire section in there and we knew parts of it may not be the best. We, We just weren't sure but we got zero comments on that at the last 652. And, and we were astonished because we thought the industry would have actually made a few comments. If the, the public and the vendors that are out there and the companies that are involved with this, they really need to go through it because this is something that will be as a code, eventually it will be published as a, a law. Are required as it will. So this is your chance. This is your chance to make yourself known and to make sure we get it right. Yeah, makes a lot of sense to me. I want to close out this discussion just on any final comments that you have on what NFA 660 might mean. And, and I'd like to do two groups if possible. So one group is the, the end users. So those are the companies that process, generate, or handle combustible dust. And the sort of second piece is the the supporting community. So consultants, insurance, government, officials, associations. Um, what does it mean for them? Because I, I often break those. I usually break into more than two groups, but that'd be two groups, you know, the end users and then the people that are supporting them, myself included. So for the first group, the end users, any final comments on on 660, what it might mean for them? If you're an end user, let's, let's say that you're a, a company that uh, produces metal uh, aluminum dust or I don't know dust, but powders, or you're somebody that in the wood industry and, and is making a particle board. What you need to do is literally go in and look at the fundamental chapters first. And when, when you have this standard, and that would even be at the first draft, look at the fundamentals first, then go to your commodity specific and look, if you're looking at the DHA portion of it, chapter seven, and you go in there, read through that, look through it, and then say, okay, what does the standard, what does my commodity specific old standard say about that? Well, you would go into that and see if there's anything else they put in there that you need to consider or don't need to consider. And there's been a huge effort to try to make it much easier to understand. The numbers will match, which it didn't before. That was another thing. We, we're Everything should be in the same general area. All the annex information is still there. And I strongly encourage an end user to look at the annex. It explains so much about what is put in there. We can make a general statement about something being bonded or grounded or about electrostatics or anything along that lines. But the you will find 
very good information in the annex that will make it clear what we're after. And at no time is it the purpose of this. And I mean, no time is it the purpose to try to put people out of business or to make people's lives miserable. Our goal, and we were tasked by this ethically and as professionals to say, okay, what do is reasonable to ask people to do to try to, you can't eliminate all these risks. It's almost impossible, but you, you can get it to such a point where it's very, very unlikely. And that's what we're trying to do. Now for the others, the consultants, insurance, uh, I'm, I guess you'd call me kind of a consultant, but I put systems together, so I'm almost a manufacturer too. But we, we need to look through here more to serve the people that we're working with. A good example would be insurance. And I, I will tell you that many of the insurance companies are strongly involved in this and, and make sure that these things are covered properly. And um, FM Global, for instance, has actually over the years provided a lot of the information and especially about the material characteristics. And they've been wonderful in helping and so have many other insurance companies. But frankly, you need to look through here because if you follow, especially if you're a consultant and you're doing a DHA or you're trying to do something to help this particular company, I have seen some horrible DHAs that are just a waste of money. And yet there'll be a over an inch thick document and you read it and there's no practical information about what to do. By following what's in here and what you're actually supposed to do on a DHA, you can give that customer what they need and a way to actually make their facility much safer for them and for their materials and frankly, uh, property, just plain old property. You've got to become familiar with these and, and just comfortable with them. And by putting one standard together, that's our goal. We want to make it to where it's a lot easier to go through this. And occasionally, you might want to look in the other standards, excuse me, the other commodity specifics and say, you know, they said this, you know, maybe that's another answer to this because you do have a lot of adjustment and there's uh, ways to look at this, even performance-based analysis that you can go through that you can come up with answers. But uh, basically the insurance consultants and the government officials, frankly, I'm, I'm highly disappointed in. We have nobody, not one person from OSHA on the committees and they have begged OSHA to be on the committees. Uh, we just can't get them there. Now, we have had unions on the union representatives and others and uh, other associations as part of this. And, and we actually encourage that. Uh, the agribusiness is a good example. But that's kind of where we stand on that at this time. Yeah, I appreciate that. And I think that's really helpful for folks to kind of see w what category they fit in and in what ways they may be able to use this to improve the work that they're doing. Users, you know, read through the fundamentals, understand that, and then read through your commodity specific standards, understand what's included or, or not included specifically for your facilities. And then, like you said, the supporters, it's really about okay, how can this be used to, to serve your clients, the audience you're working with, whatever kind of engagement you have there. Um, if you're doing consulting in this area, really make sure, you know, that you're checking all the boxes. Um, that you're doing things that you're you're meeting requirements for qualifications and that's a whole different podcast interview <laughs> um, but it, that's the, the the right way to look at it i do want to just close off jack by saying thank you again for your um, involvement in all the nfpa standards over the years um, thank you more importantly well that is important but in in addition uh, for the important work that you actually do in industry installing safe systems, designing safe systems, recommending safe systems. We're helping facilities run more productively, run more efficiently, run more safely. Um, they all are part and parcel of, of moving the industry forward. So thank you for that. And and thank you for coming on the podcast today, today to talk. I really appreciate it. Not a problem, but we also owe you, Chris, a huge thanks for making this possible, for giving us a voice and to making sure it's not lost in the wind. I want to thank you for that personally and for my customers, I think. 
Thanks, Jack. You didn't have to do that. Um, I, I do appreciate it. I know. I know, but it's, it needs to be said. <laughs> well, it's good. I mean, it, I think I, I told Jack on the outset of, of this back when I started my dust explosion research.com, which is where, where all the stuff that we have today originated. It was simply John would ask me a question. I knew Bob knew the answer and Sally would ask me a question. I knew Jack knew the answer and, and it turned out that the communication pathways were a thing that was lacking in increased awareness, in problem solving, in costing out projects, you name it. It was really a, a challenging communication. So we set out to to try to bridge that gap in, in communication. This podcast is certainly a part of that. And, and most of the stuff we do have come out of that. So um, if we've had any effect and it's been positive, that's uh, an excellent result. And and I do appreciate the kind words. So I think we'll leave it there. Um, I'm sure we'll have you back on, Jack. Hopefully, once we get closer to the public review process, maybe we'll come back on, see where things are at, and see if we can get folks to provide more input that way. And look forward to talking again soon. All righty. Take care now. So you've been listening to myself, Dr. Chris Cloney and Jack Osborne from Airdesco, based out of Arkansas. And we were talking about an update on the development of NFPA 660 and impact on industry. And again, this is sort of a follow-on of some podcast episodes we did about a year ago covering what is NFPA 660, this code or this standard for combustible dust. How is it set up in terms of the fundamentals being put at the first couple chapters? That's mostly sprung from the material of NFPA 652 and bringing the commodity-specific standards in later chapters. And today with Jack, I really want to get some of the history of how 660 came about, how it kind of grew from the efforts of 652, where we're at today and and where it's heading. Uh, He talked a lot about why this is a good idea, what the structure is going to look like, what is going to change and what's probably not going to change, at least at this point. And we made a big emphasis on the public comments and feedback. I wish I could say it's available now for feedback. It's not quite, but when it is, you'll, you'll hear about it here on the podcast. We'll be emailing newsletters. We'll be trying to get as much feedback from the community here in North America and, and abroad. Um, if you have a insight or stake in a facility that generates handles or combustible dust or working with those in industries as support, then this is really your chance to, to get involved and, and help with that process. And we sort of closed out by talking through are there going to be changes with commodity-specific standards, some recommendations for users and recommendations for supporters. Again, I want to thank NFPA for the efforts they've done. Laura Morano, who has done a lot of work on the project management side, and many other folks in NFPA, the hundreds of hours put in by the NFPA committee members, it's, it's really quite a big job. I've been sitting on the outskirts just interviewing um, occasionally a, a committee member I say occasionally, probably, you know, every every week or two, I'll be talking to a different committee member on, on the podcast or somewhere. And uh, it, it is a big undertaking and they've done a lot of really good work. And my hope is that this is a better system moving forward that we can expand and grow into in terms of combustible dust safety. So thank you for that. So close this episode. As always, I want to say thank you for listening to the Dust Safety Science Podcast. Um, I hope you have a safe and productive week ahead. And I appreciate everything you're doing in the industry handling combustible dust with the work that you're doing around the world every day, every week um, and the efforts that you're putting in there. Thank you.